Hello, and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Eric Newman, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Medea Ocher. Hi, Medea. Hi, Eric. So on this week's show, we're talking with Kristen Arnett about her latest novel, With Teeth. Um, And we get into Florida writing, queer Florida writing, queer families, all kinds of things, just in time for the waning days of June Pride Month. That's true. Yeah. And no corporate sponsors for this, by the way. So we don't have to get into that. I mean, we'll take them. We'll take them if they they would like to support us. In the waning days of Pride Month, we will absolutely take it. Sure, yeah, and, exactly. You know, what a what a fantastic way to show your real support for the queer community by funding the LARB Radio Hour. By a very last minute donation to the LARB Radio Hour. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. For our Kristen Arnett episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really loved what Kristen said and uh, and how she kind of described this book as a lesbian domestic yeah drama and. It very much is that, and we talk a lot about the main character, Sammy, because she's such a singular, sort of unreliable character, as to put it in a more cliched way. And it was a pleasure to talk to Kristen. Yeah. So let's just get right to that conversation, shall we? Let's do it. We're excited to have Kristen Arnett on the line with us today. Kristen is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Mostly Dead Things, a novel about, among other things, a lesbian taxidermist that first piqued my curiosity about her as a new voice in contemporary queer literature. She's also the author of the award-winning short story collection, Felt in the Jaw, and her essays and other writing have appeared in the New York Times, Guernica, McSweeney's, and The Guardian, among other publications. She joins us today to talk about her latest novel, With Teeth, which centers on the troubled relationships between Sammy, her wife Monica, and their son, Samson. As Samson grows up, it becomes clear that Sammy and Monica's child isn't quite like the other children. He is a bit emotionally aloof and prone to outbursts. And as a teenager, he's even more of a mystery, a loner and a threat to the very image of a normal family that Monica seems so desperate to present to the world. As the stay-at-home mom and narrative focal point, Sammy is often tasked with both trying to understand her mysterious son and herself as her marriage and seemingly everything else begins to deteriorate around her. Or so we think. As With Teeth spins through its insightful portrayal of queer parenthood, the struggle for identity and autonomy amid the disintegration of a marriage, Kristen Arnett keeps us guessing until the final moment when it appears that everything we think we understand about Sammy, Monica, and Samson might be wrong. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I wanted to start with talking about the main character, Sammy, and how you came up with her and sort of started to flesh her out as a character. She's a pretty complicated character. And where did it start? This book originally started as a look at what I was thinking about a lot, because I I consider myself a person who likes to write about the lesbian domestic, is maybe how I would describe that. And I was thinking a lot about how everyone in a household is essentially an unreliable narrator, right? People living inside a household together, sharing the same in theory, the same stories, but those stories, how they kind of like touch, but then veer away from each other in very sometimes surprising ways, sometimes unsurprising ways. So Sammy to me was a character I was thinking a lot about. And in the genesis of this book, 
was thinking about in terms of what if there was a woman who had a fraught relationship with her son and they, as when Samson is an adult, he has some trouble in his life and he has to come back and live with his mom and like what their relationship would look like. And so that's how this book started out. I wrote about, gosh, I would say a lot. I wrote about 40,000 words of that iteration of this project where it was what would it be like to be, you know, have your adult son live at home with you and then kind of confront like the stuff that had happened in childhood or whatever and like what that would look like. And I found as I was writing that what I was really interested in was so much of what happened in the past between these people. I was continually, I would think like every page, every other page referencing something that had happened 10 years ago, like 20 years ago, what had happened. And then I realized I was so in the past that I was like, this is actually where this character lives. So I scrapped all of it, as we do sometimes, that just happens. And I was like, I started off with a scene. And I was like, this is a scene that is going to set up who these characters are and how I want this book to progress. And that scene is an attempted child abduction at a playground. That happens with Sammy, the stay-at-home mom, who is like a very close third up on her throughout the entire book, taking Samson to the park and how he is nearly abducted by someone. It's a very brief snapshot of this moment. It's very fast paced, but I was like, I want there to be insight into how Sammy processes it. And that's going to be our insight into her character as we move into the book, because the way that she processes this abduction is not necessarily with relief in this way. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, thank God. I have like managed to thwart what could have been something very horrible, you know, something awful. And instead, she has this feeling of, why did my child try and escape me? Why was my child trying to get away from me? And I was like, this is who this person is. And this is how we're going to get into this book. And I think that that is really, for me, was the crux of how I was like, I'm going to get into this character through this very specific kind of like hellish nightmare scene for this parent and see how they react in a moment of crisis. And I, I think that told us a lot about who she is as a person. And that's how I got into her character moving through the book. Another thing that I think in a kind of cliff notes way, we could say that Sammy is a mess, right? She's an absolute mess. She's a mess. I think in the way that many of us, is Sammy in her thirties? Yes. That's what I thought. It was like, so that's kind of how many of us straight or queer in our 30s feel, especially now. But one of the things that I like is the, I guess what we could call the dyad between Monica, who's very much together. So Sammy's partner, she's a professional. She's very well put together. She's, you know, at the top of her game. And then Sammy, who is very much, at I don't know, the bottom of her game, if that's possible. And together, as one who has her shit together and one who is losing her shit, Monica and Sammy also represent a kind of interesting dyad, I think, in contemporary queer culture between, on the one hand, Monica, who is what we would call respectability politics, right? And I think you actually use this term in the novel, where she wants, her ideal is every gay family is just like any other family, they just happen to be gay. I think Sammy doesn't know where she fits in there. She knows she's definitely not respectable, but she's not sure what her politics are. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how you process that yourself? Because this is a an open question, I think, right now in queer politics and culture, but also kind of how you use that tension to kind of move us forward and ask questions in the novel. This is, yeah, thank you. These questions have been so great so far. I thought a lot about this. I think that that's very much at the heart of this book for me. 
I am a Florida writer, and so I'm very specifically quite often writing about Central Florida. Florida is a red state, but a red state that contains tons of queer people. Like, especially if we're talking about Orlando, we have the theme parks there, and it's like every queer person wants to come work at the theme park. So it's like we have tons and tons of people who are, you know, of various ages, like myriad ages and different types of queerness all across the spectrum, like living in Orlando, but with like no places for them and no frame of reference. And I was thinking a lot as a queer person, I think a lot about community and what that means for me. Cause that to me is like right built and found family is like wildly important when it comes to being a queer person. I mean, I myself, I'm estranged from my biological family. I'm estranged from them. But I mean, not every queer person is, but so much of like who you are as a person and coming out and getting to know your own queerness is through uh, like butting up or mirroring against other people's queerness. It's like getting to know a community. And so for me, I was like the queer community in Orlando is there's a queer community but it's housed inside a bunch of spaces that are not necessarily labeled as queer. Like for instance, we have what we call gay IHOP, which is <laughs> like, it's not really a queer space, but it is because management got hired there. That was queer management hired queer workers, queer people felt safe coming there. It became queer space. And that is how a lot of queerness functions in Orlando proper. And there's also this way in which like, okay, so you're, when queer people come out, it's kind of sometimes like a secondary adolescence. You're like learning how to like navigate, like, whereas like when you're really young and you're in the closet, you're like really trying so hard to mimic all the people around you and like behave in kinds of ways. So then when you actually do come out, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but it's like, it feels like a consensus thing where it's like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm learning how to like make queer friends. I'm learning about my own like queer culture. I'm learning how to do queer people. So it's like the secondary thing. And that's how you find family and things like that. There's not really a frame of reference for that when it comes to queer parenting in Central Florida. I was talking to an editor friend about this and they were like, well, why wouldn't this character like go to like a gay mom's group? And I'm like, there's no gay mom's group in Orlando. Like there's just not those spaces. And how much you learn about your queerness and how to behave is like right within your community. And if there's no community for that, And if the community around you, like you feel like you're being like abandoned or isolated from it because that's not what the queerness is there, right? Like it's like a single, young, kind of bar hoppy nightlife kind of thing. What does that look like if your community feels like it's slowly shrinking and you also have nothing to look at? And then right within this household, there's two kind of minds about situations constantly, which I think is just a household thing quite often. True. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like what happens in households when it comes to communication and different styles of parenting, maybe, or even just living. These are two people who, yeah, Monica is looking at this as like a kind of idea of like, well, I want everybody to look at us as like, we're just like you, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like not what queerness really is. I mean, who can even say what queerness is? And that's what's so great about queerness. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like describable, undescribable wonderful thing that encompasses so much, but what it is not supposed to be doing in theory is like being like shoved into like heteronormativity, right? Like it's like, okay, I'm the dad and you're the mom and we're going to like fall into these roles and we're going to be great at it. And we're just going to emulate like the kind of heterosexual culture that's around us. I think for Sammy looking at this, especially because she's a person who doesn't really know what she wants 
And the things that she's doing, she's like, I'm not good at this. And I don't really like it all the time. And I um, feel like I'm failing and I have no model to look to. And what my wife really wants from me is to be quiet and just kind of do this. And so we have like, right, like this kind of fractured like ways of looking inside the household. Like Monica's not there. And when she is there, she wants it to look a certain way. Whereas Sammy's like, this is not like, right? Like we're not an Instagram picture. Like what's happening in the photo is actually like the stuff that's happening beneath the surface or like, right? Like the idea of like, we're at a dinner and like, this is a beautiful picture of this dinner. But in reality, like we were all fighting. What an awful night had, like- my kid was kicking me under the table the whole time. It was the worst birthday I ever had. Here's a beautiful picture that represents what our queer family looks like. And I think that's hard. I think that'd be really, really difficult. I think coming from both perspectives, it's like kind of a mess, but I think that's just kind of how things are sometimes. Well, and also, I mean, the thing that Sammy struggles with is that, so she has no community among her straight female counterparts, right? So the mommy group doesn't really get it, you know? And that's everything from their frame of reference to talking about hot guys they see on TV, which isn't really going to translate for Sammy. But also what I was particularly curious about, and I, I think is so honest, and I feel it myself and don't have like an answer for what would be better, is how Sammy also feels utterly alienated from the queer community that used to be such a bolster for her. There's a, a moment in which I'm kind of ad-libbing, but I think this is close to the quote, where she said she felt as if when she became a mom, she ceased to be queer. Like she was effectively isolated, and this means she's no longer going to brunches, she's not going to bars, she's not hanging out with those friends that were the models for how to live. I mean, so do you think that, is that just an unavoidable tension in a community that has real questions and fears, I think, about what domesticity or reproduction means? Or do you think that it's like we need to find new pathways to also make space for queer moms? And I know you're not a queer parent either, just like I'm not. So it's like we're kind of like, well, that baby would be nice, but I'm not sure how I feel about it either. I mean, I think it's one of these things where there's that tension is there. Like, it's a completely, like, explainable thing, like, in Orlando to be, like, I feel, like, I I feel lonely. I feel like there's not, like, a community that includes me as a queer woman, like, with a child, right? Where it's, like, no, I can't go out. Okay, like, you know, I feel weird, like, breastfeeding at Pride. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like, everybody's, like, going out to this thing. I can't be there. I feel isolated. And so that, I think, is a very real tension that's there. That's, like, a very real thing, like, in, like, many places and not just even in Orlando, right? We're thinking about places where there's just not tons of queer space or like representation. But I also think that a big part of this too is like the kind of person that Sammy is. So like when she's being isolated, there's like a way in which she as a character feels like no one hears her, but also she's not listening a lot of the time. So I think there's this tension between those two things right? Like she's a character who maybe could have had conversations with the queer friends around her in these kinds of ways being like, I feel alone. Or like, can I talk to you about this? But who she is, is like, she's a person that isn't maybe incapable of having those kind of nuanced conversations in a way that like are productive because she's not a good listener. I don't know. I think that there's ways in which like conversations need to be had. There's because there are queer parents in Orlando and, you know, there's like ways in which people find things to do and like find each other. But I don't think this particular character just had it in her to be able to do that kind of legwork. 
I think it was like just who she is as a person. It's like easier to kind of let, to let things happen, to kind of sabotage to the point where it's like, if my life destructs, then it has distracted. And so something else has to happen because I may be incapable of making something else happen by myself. I will be very honest with you. Yes, it was like an extremely frustrating character to sit with. I mean, she's not the easiest person to sit with, but I was like, this is just who she is. Quite often when I was writing, I would be like having these questions like, why do you have to do this thing? Because it's like, it just, I was just be like, oh, like, no, like, please don't. It felt like you you have like your one friend who's like always doing these things where you're like, no, please don't, don't, don't call your like ex-girlfriend. Like don't drunk message them on, oh, don't do that. Like, but it's like, you know, you love them so much and you're like, why are you doing this? But this is a character. So yeah, she's like extremely frustrating to sit with. She's also just like a person who it was fascinating to see the ways in which she, I think even subconsciously doesn't understand exactly what she's doing a lot of the time. One of my favorite scenes to write in the book was the scene where Sammy takes Samson out to dinner and they're sitting at this dinner table in this like Tex-Mex restaurant in like a strip mall together. And she decides she's going to let him have sips of beer for every question that he answers because she's like, I'm going to get to know him. And we're going to, this is like, we're going to meet here. And this is going to be like a fun way that I can get to know you. I mean, it's like right questionable choice, letting your underage child drink at the restaurant. But it was like, I was like, okay, this is going to also tell us a lot about who she is and her understanding. And they get to a point where she like asks him like his favorite color. And he's like, why are you asking? How do you not know what my favorite color is? And this is a point where her response to that could be this way in which she's like, oh shit, you know, he's right. I have obviously have not been listening. Like, and then take that as an opportunity to be like, damn buddy, I'm sorry. Like, let me like listen to you and like take this in, take it in right now. And instead her response as I'm writing it is like, oh, I'm so sad for myself. I don't even know my son's favorite color. And she takes that in that kind of way. And I was like, this is really directing us in the ways because she literally just doesn't understand that there's ways in which she could like, if she was even able to look instead of inward into outward and to like the people around her and like be able to see them. But she's like so close up on herself and the ways in which she feels mired down in this kind of slowly deteriorating snow globe maybe where like the water's leaching out of it and it's getting a little algae and stale and everything is starting to look a little bleaker and grimmer and like just completely claustrophobic it makes her incapacitated I think I think she's done this for so long or had so many bad habits and dysfunctional habits with herself and within the household that it almost is kind of calloused over how dysfunction can kind of live in a place for so long. It starts as like, you know, small mannerisms, small behaviors that end up when they keep occurring, like building up until like people within a dysfunctional relationship no longer notice them. And then other worse behaviors or more dysfunctional behaviors layer on top of that, layer on top of it, layer on top of that until you have like a mess of dysfunction that's like completely unsalvageable and like also just like can be like very explosive. And so within this household, I was like, this is where this is going because this is like where it has gotten to. Like the layers of dysfunction have added and added until it's not just messy. It's like to a point where it's like they can't even talk to each other in ways because they have conditioned themselves to not just not hear, but to like when someone speaks to hear what they think they're going to say. 
I know you, so I know you're saying this to me, not listening to the thing that the other person's actually saying. So this is like, to me, who Sammy is and how she's going, which is completely horrible, but um, was very fun, was very fun to write. I mean, from an outside perspective, I think about it all the time as being like, being in a bar and sitting next to like what you realize is like the worst date, first date you've ever heard of your life. Just like an awful, awful time. But you still sit there and listen to it because it's very entertaining. And also you're like, thank God it's not me. But also this has been me at some point, you know, like these kinds of things. So it's like, she's like hard to sit with. But at other times I was like, this is deeply funny and like the most uncomfortable way. Because I think discomfort is can be hilarious. It's just, you know, because if we're able to kind of look at it outside ourselves, but also can lose moments where we're like, well, I remember being this uncomfortable. And it's funny to see it away from me at this moment. (laughs) You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded remotely. We've been speaking with Kristen Arnett, author of With Teeth, And we'll return to that conversation in just a moment. But first, we have this week's book recommendation. We're excited to have Joan Silber back on the line with us. Joan is the author most recently of Secrets of Happiness, and she joins us for this week's book recommendation. So Joan, what book are you recommending? I am recommending Charles Baxter's The Sun Collective. And I also would like to recommend Margot Livesey's The Boy in the Field. Okay, wait. So let's start with Charles Baxter's The Sun Collective. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what it's about and how you got interested in it? It takes place in Minneapolis's home city and involves a, a collective that seems to be helping the homeless but has mysterious other sources. It's quite complicated. And one of the great blurbs on the back says that it's Sherwood Anderson revealing his inner Samuel Beckett. <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite a mashup, I have to yeah, say. That's very accurate to, to what the book does and the sort of mysteries of it. For Charles Baxter fans, which I think there are many, it has a, has a few more magical elements than he usually has in his fiction. Okay. They're fairly subtle, but they're quite wonderful. And Margot Lucy's The Boy in the Field, it takes place in England and it begins with a boy who's found badly injured in the middle of a field by some kids from a family. And then it unfolds from there. And it's the same kind of, it's completely transporting as you read it. And it's both disturbing and comforting in a way that I think is sort of incredible. That sounds great. And can you give us the titles and the authors one more time? Margot Lucy, The Boy in the Field, Charles Baxter, The Sun Collective. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Joan Silber, author most recently of Secrets of Happiness. Thanks again, Joan. Thank you. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Now, back to our conversation with Kristen Arnett, author of With Teeth. I wanted to ask actually a little bit about the character of Samson. So some of the like, I guess we, so first of all, we should all admit we should never go to Goodreads to look at anything, but like some of the, some of the, like a a couple of the pushback that I just thought was interesting to think about is kind of like that we never, for obvious reasons, as you're saying, Sammy is our close third perspective. She's the, and, and it's the, the novel does become somewhat polyvocal when we usually see single page accounts 
of the experiences of usually like a truly auxiliary character, like a waitress or somebody that Sammy meets at a bowling alley. We kind of see their story, but we never kind of get Samson's perspective. So we kind of never really know how he's seeing all of this, even in, and I'm not going to give away the end because it's a really interesting, like, wait, but er, what? So we never even hear from him in this moment when it appears like something is being revealed. So Mm -hmm. can you just talk a little bit about that as both a a kind of textual strategy, but also kind of like how you thought about that character or if he was just too difficult for you to jump into the voice of or the experience of? It felt to me, um, I started off not knowing if I was going to have Monica or Samson um, contribute any of their actual like close third perspectives. And to me, it became, um, it became um, more that I needed, I needed there to be the lack because I needed it to be on Sammy. I needed to be the ways in which she fails to see the people around her. Okay. Um, And the ways in which I really, and also just because the three of those characters are in the household together and really do fit into the way of which I think like, sure, they are all experiencing the same things, the same actual things happening, but they're all telling it in their own way. Like none of them will be like a reliable narrator in those circumstances. You're getting their perspective, like they're right. I know they're all very true, but like in our own lives, we're the main character right? Like Mm -hmm. within my family, I'm the main character of my family because it's my particular perspective. So when I'm thinking about it that way, I was like, even the the three of them were all telling their perspective of a situation. We're getting their particular perspective of the situation. And that felt less important to me. And it felt more important to me to have these little interstitials where these outsiders come in and show what they see when they're seeing these situations. Ways in which Sammy is seeing it in a way that they don't see at all or in a way in which they are close to each other, but still far away or ways in which like she, she is like taking on like, like for instance, like when she decides to go to that church and she interacts with that woman at the church Um, and her impression of the woman is that the woman is being homophobic because that has been her experience growing up, you know, in an evangelical household is like, knowing that the person will be homophobic, so expecting it. So that's her perspective of the woman. And in reality, the woman has a completely different response when we get her interstitial because there hasn't been an allowance for her to give like anything. There's been like an expectation about how people are. So I really wanted there to be a close on Sammy because she is unreliable in like a number of ways. And so much of what she fights about or it frustrates her about her son are the ways in which I think she feels she herself is failing. She is frustrated with him because he's a picky eater. She is the pickiest eater of all time. Like she's frustrated with him because he can't make friends in a way, or like he's like, feels like an outsider. She herself has a huge difficulty making friends or maintaining relationships. She puts a lot of things onto him and the ways too, that I was very interested in writing about this relationship between the two of them, because there's this way I think about it a lot. Hear me out. I think about it a lot in the ways in which, you know how like people take those movie trailers sometimes and they just put different music in the background and then like it becomes like a different genre of movie. Like, so for instance, someone did it with The Shining and then like put buddy music in the background and then it became... So it's like a comedy. Yeah, it's like a comedy. It's like a dad and father and son comedy. And it's like with this tiny 
shift of perception, something that is like normal childhood behavior becomes something twisted and evil. Kids do wild stuff all the time. Kids definitely bite each other. Kids do like really dramatic things. Kids like, I mean, some of my favorite stuff to look at on Twitter is like when people are like, kids are like, oh, I wrote your obituary or, oh, I did this thing. (laughs) We can look at it and be like, haha, that's funny. Or else you can be like, this is bleak. They're like, you know, like Damien from the Omen. It's like, it's like (laughs) the way that Sammy sees things because she feels so equipped to do stuff quite often colors Samson's behaviors. Like are Samson's Mm. behaviors really that chaotic and that horrible? Or is it the way that Sammy views them because Sammy has. So it felt more important to me to have her be the person showcasing it. Cause it also was like, yeah, when she sees, it's like a horror movie to her. Like the way that her child behaves and moves and it has a body and lives is like horrifying to her a lot of the time. So it becomes this like way in which she sees it that way. And that felt important. And I think bringing in Samson would have like lessened the impact of that to a degree, because I think it is, it was really important to me to be like, show the skewed ways in which she views things and not, and, but not be like so upfront about it, like to bring Samson and be like, yeah, my mom's crazy. Oh, you know, like, (laughs) Oh, well, one of the things that I think is interesting about the book and one of the things that really scares Sammy about her son is his potential sexuality and the way that it butts up potentially against hers. And I was wondering about that and how you thought about the the sort of competing sexualities within the household, because they do all seem to be kind of like out of sync with each other in a way, even though that doesn't seem necessary. Obviously, you know, there could be many kinds of sexual bodies in in one house, but they seem to be so antagonistic and so out of sync. I really wanted to focus on that and have that be present in the book, especially it felt important for me, not only for Sammy to have, like to show the relationship she has with her child, right. When he's like in fourth grade, but to also be like, I need to see the two of them here when he's a teenager because Mm -hmm. he is, has a lot of stress um, and anxiety about raising a boy. So much of it is colored by the ways in which she specifically is like, this is how men are or how teenage boys are and I am afraid of it but also in the ways in which there's like plenty of times that like Sammy who also is interested in women um acts in predatory ways towards women right the stuff that she gets on Samson about and like you need to be respectful you have to respect boundaries like this is a woman and you can't be like aggressive and you can't like you have to have consent and things like that and she is a person who moves through the world quite often without those rules in place for herself it felt deeply important to me to write in the scene of her at the lesbian bar because i think quite often there's this idea that queer spaces are just automatically safe spaces because they are queer. Um, that things like that don't happen in queer spaces because it's especially, okay, let's, if we're talking about like women's queer spaces, like if I'm talking about from my personal perspective, um, there's this idea that like boundaries will be in place because this is a queer space. And so these, this is going to be respected when in reality, there's no conversations that happen quite often around that stuff. And so consent is like almost like completely disregarded. And so she's a person who's moving through this space, touching people who don't want to be touched, 
feeling like she's kind of like owed different kind of situations. And it's the same kind of shit that she gives her son for, and that she really should be like, kind of like self-actualizing it for herself. But because she's a queer woman, she's not thinking about it in the same kind of way because it's different. So it felt like deeply important to me to be like, actually, these are the same situations. I mean, it's like, they're not exactly the same, obviously, but when it comes to consent and boundaries and like what we, like the expectations we put on other people, it felt like, very important that I put in here the ways in which Sammy is talking to him about these things, but ultimately fails them herself. Like she's disrespectful when it comes to like people's boundaries. And she thinks it's different when it comes to her because it's her and not her like teenage son, because she's afraid of the way that he's sexual and doesn't consider her sexuality in the same kind of way. So, I mean, again, that stuff's all deeply messy, right? Like it's just very messy stuff, which God knows I love. Um, not to like act that way in public, but I like writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So as we kind of wrap up here, one of the things that I find so refreshing about your writing is that it does take place, as you say, it's the lesbian domestic, um, in central Florida. So excited to see when like Southern Nights or Ibar pops up in your like writing about Orlando, as my (laughs) husband calls it. But my my husband went to UCF. So it's like, and he's from West Palm. So it's like all that area I think is also nice to read about in your fiction because I feel, and this is the question that um, a lot of your, your stories are obviously set in the South. They're queer stories. They're not anchored ever by a coming out narrative, right? It's always those, there are sometimes reflections on that, but th- that's not the raison d'etre of the narrative. Right. So what I think is really interesting is both that different kind of regional, if we want to say it like queer literature, um, which it seems like we're starting to get more of, right? So it's not just like LGBTQ literature from the coasts or from major cities, right? It's not just LA, San Francisco, New York, rinse, repeat, right? So can you talk a little bit both about your experience as a queer person living in the South and also as a queer writer whose settings are often queer lives and experiences in the South? Yes. As soon as I like started writing any kind of story, I pretty much knew that I wanted to be um, not just a writer, but a Florida writer. Florida feels like deeply embedded in my work. And I'm also like a queer person. So my perspective without fail, no matter what is going to be queer. I, like, I consider myself to be a queer writer and I consider myself to be a Florida writer. And those two things are like deeply enmeshed in my mind because that's who I am as a person. And I write, I write about the Florida that I live in and through my own queer experience. So my experience in writing it has been that I, you're right, I don't, um, I'm less interested in like the big moments that happen and more of this kind of idea of like the daily lived experiences of a queer person. You know, whether that person's messy or not, they quite often are, like, let's be honest in my stories. <laughs> more fun. This way in which I was like, I really am always wanting to think about the ways in which you know, a person who's queer, like, has a hateful job that they, like, it kind of sucks for them, and they were gay, um, and they, like, have a weird relationship with their kid, and, oh, yeah, they're gay, and, like, mm-hmm. oh, they, you know, like, get in a fight with their partner, because one of them said they're going to take the trash out, and then they didn't, and then they're, like, no, you said that, no, you said that, oh, yeah, they're both gay, like, I'm more interested in, like, how those little moments fit up together, and that, yeah. to me, like all happening within the space of Florida, right? Because it's like, that's where these things are, like moving through 
like not even just town, but like outside, like inside your household, outside your household, how like people around you work, what like the, what everything feels like, like a kind of sensory experience feels significant to me. And my characters are queer and experience them as a queer person moving through it. Then that feels like important to me. And there's been so much of it too. It's like picking up and like flourishing like crazy. There's so many like queer Florida writers, even like putting stuff out right yes. now that we're doing like, cause Florida is such a huge state. Honestly, it's humongous. Like each part of the, like, right. Like there's writing about it my- takes 12 hours to drive from the bottom to the top. It's a lot. It's huge. So like yeah. writing Miami is not writing about Orlando is not writing about mm -hmm. the Keys. is not writing about, like about Jacksonville is not writing about like the panhandle. Like these places are all huge and disparate. They have like different climate, almost different yeah. plants, different animals and people are different, right? The cultures are all different. So it's been like, I don't know. It's been exciting to see the different, like the myriad kind of queer ways that people are bringing their like personal queer perspective into like the breadth of like what space writing can look like. So there's been so many, there's been so many different like books in the South that are about like, that are queer and are like writing about them in those personal perspectives of different kinds of queerness and different kinds of like Southern writing, you know, what that looks like. Cause Florida is also its own <laughs> fun entity that yes. demands its own like kind of storytelling. Um, but I don't know. I am. I'm more interested in writing about like, right. Like the kind of daily movement through things. It's, it's not as interesting to me. The big stuff is fun. I'm always more interested in how like the little ways that like kind of neatly kind of like puzzle piece together inside like a queer life in Florida feels the most fascinating to me. And I guess I'll stop writing about it when it stops feeling interesting, but it hasn't stopped feeling interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's great. We've been speaking with Kristen Arnett, author most recently of With Teeth. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help us get the word out. And we'd love to hear from you. The producers of the LARB Radio Hour are Medea Ocher, Kate Wolf, and Eric Newman. Our executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our sound engineer is William Broaden. Editorial production by Jake Levins. Our intro music was written and performed by Imogene Teasley-Vladen. Mm -hmm.